Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mintert, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the January Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 18th through the 22nd of January. And Michael, uh, you know, the Ag Barometer did dip just a little, but not very much. It dipped to a reading of 167 compared to 174 a month earlier. And if you look at the kind of under the hood, it's pretty obvious the decline was really driven by a weakness uh, in future expectations. Uh, the future expectation index fell from a reading of 161 back in December to a reading of 151 in January. And by way of contrast, the index of current conditions was virtually unchanged. It, it was 202 in December, was 199 this month. So all of the weakness that we saw in the barometer itself was really driven by farmers having a little less uh, strong or a little weaker uh, expectation about the future, right? This is very, yeah, and this is very similar results to what we've seen, uh, what we saw in November and December. And so the last three months have been very similar, you know, a strong current condition index, sub-index, and, and a relatively, relatively weaker, it's still relatively strong, uh, you know, compared to the historical uh, indices, but relatively weaker uh, future expectations index. Yeah, and so then we also asked a question that we asked periodically about uh, farm financial performance. So we asked them, as of today, do you expect your farm's financial performance to be better than, worse than, or about the same as last year? And the group that said better than, and I think this really kind of helps explain that current condition index, uh, has jumped from last summer's readings that were in the 10 to 12% range to November, December, and January, we've been in the 30 to 33% range. And, and here in January, it was actually 33%. So we've had a big switch there in terms of the percentage of producers telling us that their farm's financial performance is likely to be better than it was in the prior year. And as you look at the percentage saying worse, you know, back uh, last spring and early summer, we had people, uh, what, 55, 54% back in April and May telling us that they expected their farm's financial performance to actually be worse. Here in these last couple surveys, it's been in the range of 13 to 15% here in January is 15%. So there's been a big switch in terms of people's expectations about financial performance. And to me, that kind of helps explain what's going on with that current condition index. What do you think? That's definitely the case. And one of the things that's really encouraging about, uh, uh, you know, if you look at uh, future profits or profits uh, into 21 uh, through throughout 21 is the fact that that index, this this index was relatively strong or there was a relatively high percent of people in, in January here uh, that expected performance to be better because that leads me to believe that they think 21 is going to be pretty good along with 20. Yeah, good point. Um we started something last year where we tried to get a handle on the percentage of farms in our survey that were suffering some financial stress. And so we've asked a couple of questions now two years in a row. So we asked the question that says, compared to last year, do you expect the size of your farm's operating loan to be larger, smaller, or about the same this year? 
And the people that we're interested in most here is the people that are increasing the size of their operating loan. A year ago, 15% of the farms in our survey said they expected to increase their operating loan in the upcoming year compared to a year earlier. This year it was 17%, so not a real big difference there. The follow-up question went, went only to the people that said they were gonna increase the size of their operating loan was, what is the reason for your farm's larger operating loan this year? And we gave them three choices. We said increase in input cost was one option. The second option was increase in operation size. And the third one was that they were carrying over or expected to carry over unpaid operating debt. And if you work through the numbers, uh, kind of behind the scenes a little bit here, uh, what that really indicates is last year, about five to 6% of the respondents in the survey we're suffering some degree of financial stress because if you carry over operating load from one year to the next, that's an indication that your farm's having some difficulty. This year's survey suggests about three to 4% of the respondents to the survey are suffering some degree of financial stress. And I think that's consistent with some of the other information we've collected, Michael. There is always gonna be some level of financial stress out there, but it looks like it's declined this year relative to a year ago. What's your take on that? There hasn't been a lot of information related to benchmarks for 2020 because that information is still being collected and summarized uh, by accountants and farm managers. Uh, but but certainly you would think the performance in 2020 is relatively strong, and I think that's that's clearly showing in, in in this in these two questions related to operating loans, a reduction in the percentage that are carrying over operating debt. The other thing I thought was a little interesting is the relatively large increase in in, in the people that were increasing the size of their loan related to input costs. I mean, we've been hearing, hearing quite a few people that they expect input costs to be higher in 2021. And, and certainly the results of these two questions indicate that, that farmers think that's definitely the case. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, a year ago, 45% of the people in the survey said the reason their operating loan was gonna go up because they thought input costs would rise. This year, it was two thirds of the people, 65% said that they expected to see their operating loan go up simply because of higher op uh, input cost. And I guess the one we've been hearing the most about uh, lately anyway, Michael, is probably fertilizer values, right? Fertilizer and cash rent. I mean, cash rent is, is about a third of all, all costs. And so uh, I, mean, I think there's a lot of people expect cash rents to be higher. Good point. So the Farm Capital Investment Index was at essentially record high again, 93. That's what it was last month. And that's the highest uh, Farm Capital Investment Index we've had since we've been collecting data going back to the beginning of of, well, actually the tail end of 2015. And, you know, I, that's not too surprising to me when you think about what's taking place with that current condition index, people think they've got a pretty good uh, financial situation. Their financial performance is good. They're expecting good financial performance. Um, so that kind of gives us that strength in that farm capital investment index. What's your take on that one, Michael? Yeah, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised that it stayed relatively high, and, and also wasn't surprised that it wasn't. It wasn't a, a, a continued large spike uh, increase in this number. Uh, as we've talked about before, Jim, there's still a lot of people out there that have some working that are working through some working capital issues, and and they're just not in position uh, with only one year of. of, of of relatively high profits like we had in 2020 to be buying machinery. And, and so and so there is this divergence uh, in, in ability, uh, in attitude towards buying machinery among farms. 
Yeah, but I think it's important to remember, though, that if you compare this to where we were this time last year, it is a much more positive perspective, right? If uh, this time, oh, definitely. Year- Those that have working capital are obviously, uh, you know, seriously looking at it at, at buying more machinery. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it a year ago this time, that Farm Capital Investment Index was looking relatively strong, but it was in the high 60s to just over 70. So we're about 20 points, a little over 20 points higher than we were this time last year. It's a more positive perspective, clearly, than, than what we were looking at uh, last year. We also, starting in March of 2020, started asking a more explicit question about people's plans for farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year compared to a year ago. In May, 65% of the producers in the survey said they plan to reduce their farm machinery purchases in the upcoming year. That was improving as we went through the rest of 2020. And that improvement uh, kind of continued here in, in uh, January, 36% saying that they intend to um, reduce their farm machinery purchase compared to a year earlier. 15% say that they plan to increase their purchases compared to a year earlier. You go back to May, only 4% were planning to increase their farm machinery purchases. So not much change compared to December, but if you look back earlier in 2020, it is a much more positive outlook with respect to plans to make uh, farm machinery purchases, right, Michael? Yeah, and this started around that this this the change in attitude started around September and you know September of 2020, and that's about the time that prices started strengthening. And so I think this is pretty closely tied uh, to the increase in, in corn and soybean prices in particular. And it matches pretty closely with what's going on with that current condition index as well, right? Definitely. Uh, Farmers are optimistic about farmland values, especially short-run farmland values. When we ask people about their farmland price expectations for the upcoming 12 months, record high percentage of farmers said they expected to see higher farmland values over the next 12 months. It came in at 43% expecting higher farmland values in the next year. That's up from 35% last month. And if you go back to November and October, we were in that 26, 27%. If you go all the way back to last spring, last April, that was only 7%. So people really are more optimistic about farmland values in the next 12 months. And that sort of spills over into that longer term outlook as well, although we didn't see a jump in the in the longer term outlook. When we asked people about their farmland price expectations five years into the future, they remained at a record high level uh, essentially, a record high was 65%, saying they expected to see higher farmland prices over the next 12 months or next five years. This month's survey, 64%. So, really, no change from a month earlier. But what's your take on the farmland outlook relative to what farmers are thinking, Michael? I think it's matching, matching, the, matching the divergence in the in the current conditions index and future expectations. The current condition index, uh, as we've noted, is, is substantially higher uh, than the index for future expectations. So that's why we're seeing this strength uh, or this this increase in, in the people that think farmland prices are going to increase. And I also think if we go back to that financial performance slide, it tells us that that they think that that, that 2020 is is relatively strong, but I, I think. They're saying that 21 looks like it's going to be a relatively good year for profit. And then I think what you're trying to say is the implication is the out years might not be as good as 2020 and 2021, right? Or at least there's that. I think it's an open question whether 22, 23 are going to be as good as 20 and 21. 
Um, uh, and so I think people are, are, are more optimistic because they know that 20, 2020 and 2021 look pretty good. Uh, and, and that's pretty close. You know, you, you, you know, if you look at, at, at uh, futures prices in the fall of 21, they're still pretty strong. Yeah, good, good point. So one of the things that's uh, maybe been surprising me, we'll see what, what you think about this, uh, has been the response we've been getting to the question about trade with China. So going back uh, to the beginning of 2020, we've been asking people, do you think the trade dispute with China will ultimately be resolved in a way that benefits U.S. agriculture? And a year ago this time, 80% of the respondents to the survey said yes. So pretty unequivocal positive response back then. That started to slide as we headed through the rest of the winter and into spring. And that slide has continued into the fall and now into the beginning of 2021. So, you know, from 80% a year ago to in June, I think we were at about 65% saying, yeah, we think this is gonna be resolved in a way that's beneficial to US agriculture. On the latest survey, the January survey, that was down to 38%. And to me, Michael, the thing that's a little surprising about this is we know that a good bit of the re, uh, positive news on, in terms of prices for corn and soybeans is attributable to strong exports to China. So at the same time, we're seeing exports to China increase. We're seeing this, um, I guess, erosion of confidence in the, this idea that the trade dispute will be resolved in a way that's ultimately good for U.S. ag. What's your take on all this? The responses to this question are a bit puzzling, but I think I, I think part of what's going on here is when you change administrations, you create some uncertainty. We're not sure exactly how you know how the relationships with the China is going to change uh, with the Biden administration, and perhaps that that uncertainty is showing up uh, in the responses to this question. Well, that's an interesting take. So in, in that context, maybe this question is just measuring, especially in recent months, maybe it's measuring uncertainty with respect to what the policy stance will be of the new administration, as opposed to this underlying change and, and are concerned about trade with China. Is that is that kind of what you're trying to get at? Yes, and I, I think this is a question that we definitely want to continue to ask to see if some of that uncertainty goes away uh, as we get more information about, you know, how Biden is going to, Biden is going to relate uh, to, to China. Yeah, it's, it's too soon, uh, certainly when we conducted the January survey to have any information on that. Uh, maybe by the time we do the February survey, we'll know a little bit more. It might be a little farther down the road than that, though. We'll have to see. Um, so we've been asking people a, a series of questions related to policies that might influence agriculture. Uh, we started doing that in October with the idea of trying to measure whether or not there was any change uh, as a result of the election or following the election. And the idea for this kind of came from what happened in the 2016 election when we saw a big swing in sentiment. So we've been asking questions about uh, environmental regulations, estate taxes, income taxes, and we've been doing it every month now going back to October. And there's been some big swings in sentiment on this. So uh, we've asked people, do they expect, what do they expect to see with respect to environmental regulations over the next five years? In October, 41% of the people in the survey said they expected to see more restrictive environmental regulations by, uh, that rose significantly in November, rose again in uh, December, and January matched that. We're at 83%, so just over double uh, the percentage of people expecting more restrictive environmental regulations kind of pre and post-election. 
estate taxes went from 40% expecting higher estate taxes back in October to 73% here these uh, on the January survey, and that's pretty close to what it was in December. Higher income taxes back in October, people, I think 35% of the respondents said they expected to see higher income taxes over the next five years. That jumped in November, jumped again in uh, December, and the January number came in at 75%, which is actually pretty close to what it was in December. So more than double on that one uh, relative to where we were before the election. So, you know, what's your take on this, Michael? Well, certainly we've seen a lot of consistency in, in how they've responded to these three questions, environment, estate taxes, and income taxes in November, December, in, in, in November, December, and in January. But one of the things I do want to point out is the fact that the environmental regulation uh, per percentage is higher uh, than the tax percentages. And the reason I point this out is when we when we look at the, re, the, re, the uh, responses, uh, the, we have an open-ended question at the end of every at every every at the end of end of every survey every month. And when you look at the responses to that open-ended question, it's obviously that a lot of people are concerned about environmental regulations under the new administration. You know, Michael, that's really consistent, I think, with what we saw back in uh, uh, late 2016, early 2017 as well, because remember that time we weren't, we didn't uh, do as good a job of asking pre and post election questions that time, but we did ask a series of follow-up questions in early 2017, where we tried to ascertain why, why people's um, perspective or sentiment improved so much following the election. And it was pretty clear at that time that one of the things people were more optimistic about was they thought the approach to environmental regulations in agriculture would be more favorable than what they had been on, on, in the past and, and, and looking ahead in the future. So this environmental aspect and concerns about it can really swing farmer sentiment, I think, both ways. And this time, it's uh, probably one of the reasons why uh, farmer sentiment, particularly that expect, future expectation index, uh, has maybe fallen off uh, some since, since uh, the November election. Um, the other thing that we did this month that was kind of interesting was we uh, asked some questions about carbon capture. There's been a lot of information this winter uh, and a lot of interest in uh, payments for carbon capture. And so we just decided to ask people kind of a couple of really broad-based questions to get some ideas to how many people out there were aware of carbon capture opportunities and whether or not they'd seriously considered it or, or had discussed it. So we asked, the first question was, are you aware of any opportunities to receive payments for capturing carbon on your farm? 30% of the producers in the survey said, yes, they were aware of some opportunities. That was kind of interesting. We didn't really know what to expect there, uh, but 30% struck me as a little bit high. What was your take on that one, Michael? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I thought it'd be a little lower than that in terms of those that thought that have actually are aware of some opportunities. And, and we didn't define exactly what aware of opportunities means. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean that they are aware of opportunities in their local community, for example, but at least broadly based, they're aware of some opportunities. And then our follow-up question was um, posed to the folks that actually said they were aware of opportunities. We asked them, have you actively engaged in discussions regarding reserving, uh, receiving payments for capturing carbon on your farm? And roughly one out of five of the people said that they were aware of opportunities said they engaged in some discussions. Now, again, we don't know what that means in terms of how, what level of detail did they actually get involved in some serious discussions with a firm that was offering some payments, et cetera. But nevertheless, 
it suggests there's uh, some receptiveness out there and interest in uh, carbon capture among farmers and uh, discussions are, are taking place, right? I was a little surprised that it was, it was that high, you know, 22% of, of those that uh, that actually were aware of opportunities. I didn't think it'd be quite that high, but it also tells us that we really need to continue to ask questions uh, related, to the, related to this area, uh, because it seems like there's a lot of buzz out there and there's also a lot of uh, opportunities perhaps uh, for farmers in this area. Yeah, and, and you have to be careful how to interpret this. So if you look at the numbers again, 30% of our survey said that they were aware of opportunities and then one out of five out of that group. Um, so, you know, you're looking at somewhere in the vicinity of maybe five or 6% of the people. Yeah, in five to 7%. That, yeah, that have had some discussions. So keep that in mind. But yeah, I, I agree, Michael, this is an interesting area and it's, it's going to become more interesting as time goes on. There's more and more uh, activity in this uh, area. So it's going to be interesting to monitor this a little bit and see how that's, how this grows over time. And maybe we can learn a little bit more about some of the details uh, with respect to some of these uh, arrangements that are taking place out there. And then the last question we asked uh, was one that um, we've actually been asking since October. We've been kind of monitoring this in the background. Uh, lots of interest uh, about people in the general population being willing to get a COVID-19 vaccine. And we hadn't seen anything that focused on the agricultural sector. There's been some other subpopulations with respect to health workers, uh, I think teachers, you know, there are lots of different subgroups, but we hadn't seen anything with, that focused on the ag sector. So we asked people, uh, when a COVID-19 vaccine becomes available, do you plan to get vaccinated? And the responses going back to October have been kind of interesting. In October, uh, roughly one out of four, 24% said that they were going to get vaccinated as soon as possible. That increased in November and December up into the 30s. I think in December we were at 39%. So that's a pretty big jump relative to about 24% in October. And it jumped again here in January to 58%. Um, and in fact, it's, it's even bigger than that. If you go back in and add the category of, yes, I'm going to get vaccinated, but not right away. When you add that in, I think we were at 72% said that they were either gonna get vaccinated as soon as possible or yeah, I'm gonna do it, but not right away. And just 28% said that they didn't plan to get vaccinated. What's your take on this one, Michael? Very interesting uh, how they responded to this. It, it just it just it just seems like as we get closer to being able to be vaccinated, that people are more interested in being vaccinated. That's that's the only way I can explain this. I'm st I'm still a little surprised. I I like your take on this. I'm still a little surprised that it, it's slightly less than a third, but about a third of the people said no. I think if you look at some of the other broader based surveys, though, that's not inconsistent with uh, some of the broader population surveys. And I think the interesting thing, I think this is kind of what you were alluding to. Now that vaccines are available and we're starting to get the population, um, you know, we're early days in terms of people getting vaccinated. I think I saw a number the other day that said, uh, what, five or 6% of the U.S. population has been vaccinated so far, I think was the number I saw. But as that becomes more of a reality uh, and we're seeing people get vaccinated, people's willingness to participate and to do this is, is maybe starting to ramp up. So I think we'll probably continue to ask this. It's going to be interesting to see how this changes over these next couple of months as we get a larger and larger percentage of the population vaccinated if it, if it continues to rise. But, you know, relative to October, we were at 24% said yes, as soon as possible in October. Now we're at 58%. That's a big move 
uh, over a relatively short span of time. Um, and it, I think it indicates people are paying attention, right? They're, they're interested, they're watching this, they're seeing how it uh, unfolds and, and seeing what takes place uh, in the broader population. And, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because lots of concerns about, you know, food production, safety of food production, uh, security of food production, this all kind of plays into that, I think so. Well, with that, that kind of wraps up our discussion of this month's Ag Economy Barometer. If you want some more details, you can go to our website, which is purdue.edu slash agbarometer. Uh, you can also join us for our next corn and soybean outlook webinar following the release of USDA's February crop production and WASDE reports. Those will be on, uh, those come out on February 9th, and our webinar will be on Wednesday, February 10th at 3 p.m. And you can register for the webinar at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And so with that, I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And so on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Thanks for listening. <music>